Amen. So just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing to this young man, Timothy, this young minister. And remember, Paul and Timothy, they had done a lot of ministry together. In fact, Timothy was kind of like a protege um, for Paul or, a, or an assistant to Paul. They traveled together on their second, uh, Paul's second and third missionary journey. Um, Timothy had a very similar heart for God's people as Paul did, a, a very gifted young man. And so Paul invested in him, this younger man, and poured into him. And, and again, they served Jesus together. And now Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus. And he's left Timothy in Ephesus for a specific reason. And I just want to remind us in chapter 3, um, we're told why Paul is writing, and I think it's good to be reminded ourselves of why Paul is writing this letter, and it is a pastoral epistle, and it says in verse 14 of chapter uh, 3, Paul says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed... I write, why Paul? So that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so Paul writing here says, listen, I'm hoping to get to be with you there in Ephesus. I may be delayed, I may not get to you for a while, so I'm writing you this letter so that you might know how to conduct yourself, how you are to do business in God's church, how the church is to be run, how the church is to be operated, how we are to function, each one of us, as members in the body of Christ so that we would function in a healthy way, a God-honoring way, that God's name would be hallowed in his church, that Jesus would be pleased in his church. And, and so we are given important instruction, vital, crucial instruction, because we can't, we can't just come up with how we want to do church. God has spoken to us, correct? God has given us instruction. And, and so we're going to learn that as we work our way through. And remember with me, at the beginning of this letter, Paul told Timothy to remain in Ephesus, Stay put, don't leave, don't bail out. And I think personally, as Paul said that, that Timothy was getting ready to leave, that he was getting ready to leave the work that God had called him to. And it could have been for a number of different reasons. It could have been fear. We know that Timothy um, may have been a timid guy. He may have had some fear while serving the Lord, and that's part of ministry. Listen, godly men and women sometimes have fear, don't they? That's about like two-thirds of the room. The rest of you pray for the rest of us. Listen, David said, David, a man after God's own heart said, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, Lord. And God has not given us a spirit, a spirit of fear or timidity, but power, love, and a sound mind. And Paul would remind Timothy of that in his second epistle. Listen, it may have been doubt that he was dealing with. There are sometimes when you're serving the Lord, not only do you deal with fear, but there's doubt sometimes too, isn't there? You may not be seeing the results that you had hoped to see. Maybe you're not seeing the fruitfulness. Maybe you're not seeing God work as you expected he might. 
And the Lord would say, what? Blessed is he who is not offended in me. You, you continue to press on. Don't be offended in the way that I do business. Or maybe it's discouragement. Do you know discouragement is one of the major tools that the devil uses to get people out, of, out from serving the Lord, to quit, to throw in the towel? And I see it. It happens. I've seen it in my own life. I've been discouraged. And again, that's why it's so important we stay in the word of God because the Lord has the answer for discouragement. Does he not? Does the Lord have the answer for discouragement? (laughs) It's always good to be reminded. The Lord says, I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's interesting when David was discouraged, he strengthened himself in the Lord. There's times we need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. There's sometimes when God brings people into our lives to strengthen us in the Lord, correct? Paul's doing that with Timothy. He's encouraging him. He's challenging him. Hey, stay there in Ephesus. Remain. Stay the course. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit. Don't be a quitter. Keep teaching the word. Don't allow false doctrine. Don't allow nonsense to be promoted. Fables. Endless genealogies. Don't allow legalism to enter into the church either. That's a leaven that needs to be removed. And then it's awesome because then Paul, he kind of digressed for a minute and shared his testimony. with. Remember we looked at that last week? Were you guys here last week? Paul shares his testimony. And it's beautiful because Paul never forgot where he came from. He never forgot who he was. He never forgot God's calling on his life. And we need to be reminded of that sometimes too, don't we? Of where we came from and who we are in Christ. Our identity in Christ is what's most important. And the calling that he has on his life. And then Paul, as he shared that, as he was sharing his testimony, he just broke out into spontaneous praise. Wow, what a God. Now he gets back on course on his letter. He, he finishes his digression, and now he begins again to charge Timothy, to command him. Look what it says to me. Let's check it out together. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenius, I'm going to get this right this morning at some point. First service, I said it like three different ways. I I, I just settled with calling him Jaime. Will that work for you all? (laughs) Whom are Jaime and Alexander and Al. Whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. And I would encourage you, just hold on to verse 20 for a little bit, we're going to get to verse 20, because some, some of you may be saying, what in the world? Deliver to Satan, what is that talking about? Maybe you're new in the faith, and where in the world am I at church? What's going on here? 
We'll, we're going to work through these verses together. But I would draw your attention to verse 18, because what does Paul say there? He says to him, what? This charge, this command, literally this command, I'm giving you. And, and that word in the Greek, it speaks of a, of a superior officer speaking to a, uh, a, 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 a ranking, a lower ranking officer. I am giving you marching orders here, is the idea. So Paul is not only speaking to Timothy, this is important, by the way, because he's not only speaking to Timothy as an apostle with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in commanding him and charging him, but he also, look at the balance, he also says, my son, right, in the faith. My son, Timothy. There's that father-son in the faith relationship they had. So not only am I commanding you, Timothy, with the authority I have vested in me by the Lord Jesus Christ, but also as a dad, I'm coming alongside you, and I'm telling you, take this to heart, buddy. I mean, isn't that how we speak to our, ki- our dads with our kids, you know? Come on, man. And so there's that balance we see, and he says what? What does he say? According to the prophecies previously made concerning you. And so at some point in time, someone or someones communicated to Timothy words that would uh, encourage, exhort, or comfort him in his ministry and life following Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? If you're taking notes, I'm going to flip over 1 Corinthians. We find out what does it mean to prophesy. By the way, we were told in 2 Thessalonians not to despise prophecies, weren't we? Were we told that? Yes or no, y'all? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And yes, I do believe that the spiritual gifts are in are available for today. I'm not a, what do they call them, cessationists? Or, I'm not a sensationalist, but I'm not a cessationist. God gives us instruction concerning the spiritual gifts that he's blessed us with. And if you'd like to talk about that later or debate, um, just email me, Michael Metter at Calvary <laughs> West Houston. 1 Corinthians 14.3. But he who prophesies speaks what? Edification and exhortation and comfort to men. And so the person prophesying speaks words that build up, stir up, or comfort. Do you guys see that with me? And so at some point, someone or someones shared with Timothy some important encouragement, maybe even confirmed his calling. Hey, buddy, we see God's call on your life. We see God operating in your life. Man, it looks like God's going to use you in a powerful and a wonderful way in ministry. Listen, I've had that happen in my life. I shared first service. I had this teammate when I was playing with the Braves. His name was Shan Perry, and he was like super Pentecostal boy. (laughs) Like not just Pentecostal, he was like super Pentecostal dude. And it was good because it, there was a balance, you know? And so he shared with me one time, and it wasn't supernaturally weird. You know what I'm talking about, supernaturally weird? 
sensationalist. He was just sharing with me something, and I recognize now, as I look back, he was giving me a prophecy about my life, and God didn't keep me out of the loop. The Lord showed me also, and it came to pass exactly as he spoke to me, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, those things that have been communicated to you that built you up and stirred you up and comforted you, coming from the lips of your brothers and maybe even sisters, to what? To wage the good warfare by them. Those should be an encouragement to you in ministry. Hey, you're getting discouraged? Man, you're feeling like you're getting attacked and, and, and ministry's hard right now? Don't forget those things that people saw in you and spoke about you and communicated to your life. Are you with me on that? And he says what? What does he say? By them, that by them, the prophecies made concerning you, Timothy, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So notice we have a good warfare we are in. Are we in a good warfare? What does that even mean, a good warfare? Does that mean we like fight each other in the church? Throw blows, arm bars, choke each other out. Is that what it's talking about, that kind of warfare? Hatfields and McCoys warfare. We are in what kind of a warfare? What kind of battle are we in? Spiritual battle. How do we know that? Flip with me to 2 Corinthians. It's important that we understand this battle that we are in. Does it ever get weird for you guys serving the Lord? Like, where in the world did that come from? Man, that was, off, that was off the wall what just happened there. Why is this person coming against me? What's, man, why is the city coming against us? Why is this happening? It's like, do I need to put up my dukes and fight them? No, we are in a spiritual battle. Okay, listen to what it says, 2 Corinthians 10. He says... Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And so our battle is not a fleshly battle. Well, what kind of battle is it? Let's see. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but mighty in God. So in this battle we are in, it's not a fleshly battle. If it's not a fleshly battle, what kind of battle is it? Spiritual battle. And in this battle, we have been given weapons. That's nice, isn't it? We're not, not squirt guns. They are what? They're mighty in God, and they have a purpose. What are these spiritual weapons for? Well, it says, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so the weapons that God has given us, they are mighty. They're not wimpy. They're not, like, <laughs> they're, not, uh, they're not weak. They're mighty in God. The weapons he's given us to pull down, to demolish, to wipe out those things that come against the knowledge of God, knowing the Lord. I like that. There's lots of things that come against the Lord, aren't there? And not just that, he says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience 
when your obedience is fulfilled. And so when stuff starts to happen, weird thoughts, weird stuff happens in our lives, we bring those thoughts captive to who? To, to Jesus, to Christ, right? We don't want our minds to wander off and get mind monsters and, 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 and start thinking things that aren't true. We bring those things to captive, to, we give them to Jesus, and then what do we do? We walk in obedience to his word, and all of a sudden we start to experience some victory in our lives in this spiritual battle. Paul spoke about this battle also in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to flip there next if you're taking notes. Because what does the devil want to do? What does the enemy want to do? Steal, kill, destroy. What does he want to steal, kill, and destroy? You, your marriage, your home, your ministry. He can't, listen, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And he can knock us down. But the Lord wants us to stand. In fact, look what it says with me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the who? In the Lord and in the power of his might. Look to his resources. Look to the Lord to help you. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Why should I put on the whole armor of God? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What's a wile? Remember Wiley e. Coyote? Anybody remember Wiley e. Coyote? Yeah, I remember it, but you don't Google him. Check him out. He's always trying to mess with who? Roadrunner. Put out all kinds of traps and all kinds of gnarly stuff. Does he ever succeed? No. The Lord wants you and I to succeed and not fall because of the devil's wiles. Literally means tactics or schemes or trickery. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There it is. It's not a fleshly battle, not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. So we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So in the unseen realm, the fallen angels are part of this battle, right? The demons, they're part, they're part of this battle that we don't see that's going on. They got some kind of hierarchy. But here's the cool thing. One third fell with Satan. That leaves how many left for us? Two-thirds. We got them outnumbered. Therefore, what should we do? If this is the case, in light of that, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. When is the evil day? Every day it's evil. There's evil stuff going on, isn't there? That we'd be able to withstand the attack that's coming, to stand, to stay without quitting, without retreating, to stay in the battle, stand therefore. And listen, I used to, people used to say to me, I've heard before, hey, you know, I'm putting on the whole armor this morning. And, and I would say, I would kind of laugh to myself, that's, that's cool you do that. And then I started to learn, the longer you walk with the Lord, there's a very real battle. And when you serve him, when you decide to say, I'm going to do it the Lord's way and serve him full on, it's like there's a constant attack, isn't there? And it comes in waves. It, it's like when you're, you know, 
when you're surfing. <laughs> sometimes, the wave, sometimes the waves are mellow, right? Sometimes it's, it, there's like nothing happening. It's totally, there's no, there's no swell. But then there's times when it's like double overhead and it's bombing and boom, and you, you wipe out and you get shook like a rag doll. It comes in waves, sorry. <laughs> And those waves are trying to knock us down. And Paul's encouraging the church, put on the armor so that you don't wipe out. And what, so what's the armor? Look what he says. Check it out with me. Having girded your waist with truth. That's what holds the whole ensemble together, right? Your, your belt, belt of truth, word of God. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Protect some of the vitals, right? Having shod your feet. So what do we put on our feet? The preparation of the gospel of peace, right? Beautiful are the feet that bring glad tidings, good news. Above all, what do we take? The shield of faith with which you will be able to do what? Quench all the fiery darts, bling, 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 of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation. And, check it out, don't miss this, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the... Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so we put on the armor, guys. Every day, suit up, get it on, get your helmet, breastplate, boom, your belt buckle. Or belt, there's no belt buckle, that's only for cowboys. Throw it on, your boots, you put up your shield, right, to extinguish the fiery darts that start coming your way. And guess what? That's the defense, defensive stuff. We also have offensive weapons. The word of God and prayer. Did you guys see that there back in Ephesians 6? The sword of the spirit. Man, you got your, you got your shield. You got the sword of the spirit. And he says, be praying also. It's so crucial. Listen, it's so crucial to have both of those weapons firing on all cylinders, if you will. It's like if you get in a fight, you don't want one hand tied behind your back, do you? No, oh, you want both, both, both of them going. Prayer and the word of God. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? You guys remember that? Same three tactics that the devil used with Eve. He tried against Jesus. Nothing new under the sun with the enemy of our souls if he came at Eve that way, and if he came at Jesus that way, he's going to come at us that same way with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And what did Jesus do? Sword of the Spirit, right out of his heart and right into the temptation that came his way. It is a spiritual battle that we are in. And so Paul says, back to 1 Timothy with me, chapter 1, wage the good warfare. You are in a good battle. There is a battle for souls. By the way, this is so crucial, so important, because sometimes we can forget that we are, there's an, it's a battle that's about eternity. There are souls. There are souls that are in the balance. You know, there's people that come to our church to visit, and they don't know Jesus Christ. And eternity is in the balance whether they're going to come to know Jesus or not come to know him. And God is not willing that any should perish. We're going to see in chapter 2, we're not going to get there this morning at the rate we're going, 
that our prayers, our prayers, you have not because you ask not. We, prayer is crucial in the salvation of people. And so the word of God and prayer, we keep the big guns firing. And he says, wage the good warfare. And then look at the next verse, back in 1 Timothy 1, verse 18, boom, he ends with that. And then verse 19, he tells Timothy, kind of in brief, how to wage the good warfare. Having what? Having faith and what? A good conscience. Having faith, didn't we just talk about that? You hold up the shield of, what does the shield of faith do? Quenches the fiery darts. Bling, bling, bling. Here comes an attack. Here comes discouragement. Here comes doubt. Here comes a lie. Here comes something that is just off the wall. And what do I do? I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to trust his word. And what happens? That thing just fizzles out. Don't pick up the dart and inspect it, by the way. Just gone like that. And there's sometimes, listen, brother, my precious brothers and sisters, there are times we need, we must hold up our shields for others. You look at that whole Roman outfit, the helmet, breastplate, there's nothing covering the back. And what does the enemy do? He's a backstabber, right? Shoots you in the back. There's times we got to hold up our shield for our brothers and sisters to extinguish those fiery darts that are coming at their lives, their marriage, their ministry. Are you with me still? We're in this together. We are in the Lord's army. Yes, sir, right? We wage the good warfare having faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do you trust the Lord this morning? Do you trust the Lord this morning, guys? Do you trust his word? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Do you believe that his word will have the final say in your life? That you can trust him? Because sometimes we act like we don't. More month than money and we're freaking out. Right? I've been there. How's this going to work out? Lord, I'm going to be the first person to disprove your promise here. And then what does the Lord do? He's so gracious, so kind, and he comes through. He shows himself mighty on your behalf and my behalf. And he simply wants us, listen, he simply wants us to trust him. That's how we wage the good warfare, by trusting him, trusting the Lord's word, that his word will work. Do you trust it will work, by the way? You guys trust the word works. If we, if we trust him, we got to trust his word that it's going to work. And what happens when you start to obey? You trust and obey, and you find out life begins to work. It's not, not that it's easy. It is difficult, but life works. Marriage works. Family works. Business works. Ministry works. Why? Because we're doing it his way, and he's the expert in all things. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Were you guys here last week? Having faith and what? A good, a good conscience. Remember, what's, what, what's the first, what's the, uh, the thing? The helmet of salvation. The helmet protects your what? Your, your coconut. Yeah, your brain. 
How does the enemy attack? Doesn't the enemy attack your salvation? If you were really saved, you would blank. Man, you just, you just did that again? Man, you're not saved? Doesn't the enemy attack and, like, comes at our thoughts, our heads? We can have a good conscience. In fact, we're learning this in Hebrews 9 and 10. The blood of bulls and goats can never remove the consciousness of sins. Why? Because they have to be offered over and over and over again. But by Jesus' sacrifice once for all, guess what we get to have? A good conscience, a clean conscience. I'm forgiven. My sins are forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk no longer according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'll say amen to that. I'm so grateful because I cannot believe, still can't believe, I am forgiven by the Lord. It's such good news. How else can I have a good conscience? By keeping a short account with God. Does the Lord ever show you you did something wrong? Never happened to you guys? <laughs> All the time, yeah. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? To purify us from all unrighteousness. We keep a short account, we keep a short account with God. We stay fresh and current with the Lord. Are you with me? Good. That's how you wage a good warfare. Faith and a good conscience. But look what it says here. Let's keep rolling. Which some having rejected... Concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. So there were some in the church that said what rejected means to thrust away or to push away from yourself. They've rejected concerning what? The faith. They've rejected trusting Jesus and trusting his word. And guess what the result will always be? If you thrust away trusting Jesus and trusting his word, what would be the end result? What does it say in the verse? Shipwreck. Wipe out. Boom. Because listen, there is safety in abiding in Jesus and being obedient to his word. In fact, we're reading, we're studying, reading and studying Isaiah on Wednesday nights and it Man, it blew me away to hear the heart of God crying out to his people. He says, oh, if you only would have taken heed to my word. If you just want to listen to me. It says, you would have peace like a river. And your righteousness would be flowing like the tide, right? Like the waves just over and over, right on stuff happening in your life. But they said, what? No, we don't need his word. We don't need him. We got, our, we got idols. It was idols. That was their issue. And what happened to them? Total shipwreck. I mean, Jesus, Jesus put it another way, didn't he? End of the Sermon on the Mount, he said there's two builders, correct? Or did he say there's like 12 builders? How many builders are there? There's only two. Every one of us this morning, we are building, Correct? We're all building. Jesus said, the wise builder 
who builds his house on the rock, solid foundation, is the one who hears my words and does them. When the storm comes, when the winds blow, when the water rises, man, when the hurricane hits, and we're familiar with hurricanes around here, aren't we? What's going to happen to that house? It's going to withstand the hurricane. But the foolish builder who built his house on the sand is the one, Jesus said it, he's the one who hears my words but doesn't do them. And then when the storm hits, the winds blow, the waters rise, Jesus said, that great was the fall of that house. It was unable to withstand. And so the encouragement is for us this morning is to keep what? To keep waging the good warfare. Keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting his word. Timothy, keep trusting the Lord. Keep putting your faith in his word. He will not let you down. He never drops the ball on anyone that trusts him. Do you believe he's faithful this morning? He is faithful. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Was he faithful a year ago? Five years ago? Is he going to be faithful today? Faithful tomorrow? Next week? And we can say, Lord, I'm going to simply trust you. And so, there's a couple of cats here. A couple of dudes. Hymenius. Hymenius. Jaime and Alexander. Do we find them anywhere else in Scripture? I believe so. If you're taking notes, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just flip forward one book. I think they're both mentioned. Some people believe that Alexander is the same Alexander from uh, Acts chapter 19. But I'm, I don't know about that. Jury's still out for me. But it's possible that this is the same Alexander, or same Hymenaeus that Paul's speaking about in 1 Timothy, here in 2 Timothy. And he says, there's a contrast he says to Timothy, be diligent, verse 15, 215, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Timothy, man, do everything you can to make sure you're rightly dividing the word for God's people, that you're approved unto him, not approved unto man. Seek God's approval. But shun what does shun mean? Just say no. No to what? Profane and idle babblings, empty chatter, nonsense. Shun that stuff. Stay away from it. Why? For they will increase to more ungodliness. That kind of stuff leads to an ungodly life. And their message, check this out, will spread like cancer. Hi. Menius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and then notice this, don't miss this, and they overthrow the faith of some. And so this Jaime guy in, in, in this passage and his pal Philetus, they are introducing false teaching into the church. Does everybody see that with me? 
And the problem is this cancer is infecting and affecting the body of Christ. With can- what do you do with cancer? Let it keep rolling? You have to remove the cancer to get rid of the cancer to preserve the body, correct, in the physical? Same way in the spiritual. And we're going to see that in just a moment. We'll tie this all together. But we see that these guys are causing little ones to stumble. How does Jesus feel about that? Remember what he said? Yeah, he got all gangster. (laughs) Heavy. You cause a little one to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone wrapped around your neck and you thrown into the sea. Personally, I take that seriously, man. In his church. And these guys were causing little ones to stumble. If you flip forward to chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, we see Alexander mentioned. uh, 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. May the Lord deal with him. You also, speaking to Timothy, must beware of him. Why? For he has greatly resisted our words. So it wasn't just Timothy or it wasn't just Paul correcting Jaime and Al, correct? There was more than one person calling them to repentance, helping them to see, listen, what you are involved with, what you are doing is wrong. Everybody see this? The issue with these two guys back in 1 Timothy 1 at the end is that Paul deliver them to Satan in order to learn not to what? What does it say? Blaspheme. What does that mean to blaspheme? These guys were blaspheming. Blaspheme, here's a real simple definition for you guys. It helps me. It means to speak words that hurt, harm, or injure someone else. Speaking words that hurt, harm, or injure someone else. And that could be the Lord. Words that are spoken that bring harm, damage to the name of God. Correct? Remember when Nathan addressed David after he popped him when he, got, when he was with Bathsheba and wiped out Uriah? You've given the enemy great ammo to blaspheme God's name, bro. So we can use words that hurt, harm, or injure the Lord, but also words that hurt, harm, or injure others. Gossip, slander. And it's, it's a possibility that was happening. Does, does the Lord care how we treat one another? We're called, aren't we called as disciples to love one another? Isn't that like our main deal, right? Didn't Jesus say something like that? You all will know that you're my disciples by your what? By your love for one another. Not your injurious speech to one another. Or hurting, gossip, 
And here's the deal, is that Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? The mouth speaks. There's a heart issue there. If I'm saying words that hurt, harm, or injure someone else, I have a heart problem. And who's the expert on hearts? Who's the expert on our hearts? Jesus is. Listen, if you've got, you got an engine problem, you don't go to the donut shop, do you? You go to a mechanic. If you've got a heart problem, you go to the heart professional. The heart expert, it's Jesus. Are you with me still? This morning. So Paul says right at the end there, right, the last verse, I've delivered them to Satan. What in the world does that mean? Does that mean Satan's got a... He lives on 666 Lucifer Boulevard. That's right. Is that what we're talking about here? Listen to me. The world is Satan's domain. The church is the Lord Jesus' domain. What he's saying is they've been delivered to the world. The whole world, 1 John 5, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The Bible talks about the devil, Satan, as being the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air. What's happening is Paul has communicated over and over probably, or the leadership has said, hey, listen, this blasphemy, speaking words that hurt, harm, or injure people in the church, that's not going to work in the church. If you want to do that, that's how they act in the world. That's behavior that is in line with someone that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That will not fly here. So we're going to ask you to go, to leave. By the way, did you see to learn? Not to to totally destroy them. But they might learn. It's a teaching moment for them. If you want to do that, have at it out there. Not in the church, not here. This is a place of holiness. This is a place of caring and loving and words that are used to do what? Build up, stir up, and comfort, not to tear down and wipe out people. Or the Lord, the name of the Lord. Correct? You guys still with me? Delivered to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? What? What? Do we see this anywhere else in Scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Why is this so important? Should we still exercise church discipline? Of course we should. If there's cancer in the body, we shouldn't let that roll, should we? It has to be addressed, and if the person or persons are unwilling to repent, then have at it out there, not here. Not in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 5. Remember what was happening in Corinth? The, the Corinth began to influence the church rather than the church influencing Corinth. 1 Corinthians 5, I've got to get there, sorry, I'm getting there. Paul writes, he said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Hey, there, there's, sex, there's sex outside of the marriage bed, it's prescribed by God, going on in your church. 
And notice this, such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. This is stuff that the heathens aren't even doing, Paul says, in the city. And this is, the, this is gnarly. And, and you are puffed up and have not mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Did you guys catch that? So there's sexual immorality happening in the church. And the church is, what does it mean to be puffed up? Proud, prideful. Yeah, this is a place of grace. We don't want to judge. Ju- That's an amen, I think, in somebody's phone. Or a distraction. Don't miss this. Judge not, lest you be judged. That's, that's what we do around here. They were boasting. And what does Paul say? You should have been broken over what's going on. In fact, he goes on. He gives instruction on what to do. For I indeed, as absent in, the bo- in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. Paul's like, I'm not there, but I'm there. I'm with you in spirit, and I've already come to the correct conclusion. I'm not sure why you guys haven't. It's affecting and infecting the whole body. You should be broken over this and deal with it. So he's like, okay, here's the instructions on how to deal with this. Would this be love, by the way? Because I'm like, this is not love. This is love. This is tough love. Are there some times we have to give tough love in our families? I just want to be their friend. I don't discipline. You're leaving it for the cops to do. I'm stepping on toes. It's okay. This is what the book says. We get disciplined by our Heavenly Father, don't we? It just shows we're legit. It produces holiness in our lives, Christ-likeness. Well, he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, not if you, if you are, when you're gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. When we gather together, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ is here. Isn't that awesome? The power to heal, the power to fix, the power to, to, to do the things we can't do in and of ourselves. It's glorious. I love it. That's why David said, man, I long, I'm in the wilderness. I long to be in the sanctuary to experience the power and the glory of the Lord. Awesome. But what are they to do? Deliver such a one. There it is. Deliver such a one to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, put him out into the world. If, if they want to have sexual immorality, if they want to do things outside of God's prescribed uh, instructions for marriage with their bodies, have at it in the world, not in the church. 
If you want to live that way, not here. If you want to practice that way, not in the church. Because that's what heathens do, pagan, those that don't know the Lord. And you hear that for the destruction of the flesh. The problem is that part of them or him that is leading his life needs to be wiped out. We're called to do the same thing, aren't we? Every day to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. The problem was their flesh was elevated. We're going to live life after the flesh. I don't care what the Word of God says. I don't care what the pastoral staff is saying. I don't care what my brothers and sisters in Christ are saying. I'll live life my way. That's grace, man. We got, God's given me grace. I'm saved by the blood. I can wallow in the mud. No, 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 no. No way, man. How can you look at the cross, look at Jesus hanging on a cross and live that way? We are to be led by the Spirit, ruled by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so he says, put them out. Put them outside the church. Does it work? Does it work? It's worked. We've had to do it a number of times here. There was a couple involved in stuff they shouldn't be involved in years ago. And the pastoral staff addressed, we had addressed it over and over and over. Finally, it was like, you, you need to go. And I thought I was going to get beat up. This dude was big. And he rode a big bike to a motorcycle. And he had a big truck. And, and it was about like, like six, seven months later, close to a year maybe. And Saturday nights, we used, to, we used to set up every Wednesday, every Saturday, Sunday for church at the daycare center. Kids are kids on Barker Cypress. And every Saturday night, we'd have our prayer meeting there. After we set up all sweaty, we're praying, and all of a sudden, it, we hear this bite. Is that how it sounds? That sounds like a moped, dude. <laughs> we hear this bike pull up. It's loud, and he gets off his bike, and he's weeping, and he's broken. And you know what he said? He said, when we left... I ended up leaving, going to Tennessee with this person. And it felt like when I left, I knew everything you were saying was true. And I did want to beat you up. I knew it. <laughs> but when I, it felt like the Holy Spirit left me when I left town. I was like, whoa, that's heavy. And he's, he's weeping. He's, we're, we're weeping. He's like, I am so sorry. Forgive me. God's word is right. I was wrong. And what did we do? We welcomed him with open arms. What's amazing is if you read in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians, this man that was put out ended up repenting. We're out of time.
And he said to them to forgive him, to comfort him, to reaffirm him of your love. And to forgive. If you're taking notes, you can read it later. 6 through 11. Listen, with repentance, there's always restoration. You with me? And it's interesting because at the end of that little passage, he says, don't be ignorant of Satan. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And one of, listen, this morning, don't miss this, please. I know we're over time. Thank you for your patience. This is crucial. One of Satan's devices, one of his schemes, one of his wiles is unforgiveness. And the problem is when we have unforgiveness in our hearts, we are in bondage. Sometimes even bondage to that other person, we're unwilling to forgive. They're holding us captive. With unforgiveness comes bitterness. And with bitterness, bitter roots spring up. And who do they defile? Many. The Bible says many. Bitter roots in our hearts spring up and defile many people. And so that dude comes cruising back, the one at Corinth, the one at Calvary Chapel, West Houston, comes cruising back. And what does Paul say? Man, reaffirm your love to him. Forgive him. And how are we to forgive? Don't you enjoy the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters? God says concerning us, he says, I will be merciful to your unrighteousness because you're in Christ because you trust my son. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your lawless deeds. I will remember no more. You know what that means? Your sins, my sins, forgiven, forgotten, gone forever. And then we're told in God's word, we are to forgive one another. How? As God in Christ has forgiven us. I forgive you. Not going to bring it up next week, next month. I don't have, it's not 70 times 7. 483, just a few more. I don't have to forgive anymore. No, we're called to forgive. Love, listen, love holds no record of wrongs. If I'm holding a record against you or you're holding against me, guess what? We're not walking in love towards one another nor in love towards the Lord. So may we be a people, amen, that choose to forgive and to love in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this passage, Lord, the weight, Lord, the intensity as well. We, we need to hear this. And I pray that my precious brothers and sisters have heard from you, Lord. The precious would be removed from the vile the wheat from the chaff, what's come from your heart would remain, that your words would abide in us. And as we abide in you, Lord, that we would bear fruit that brings you glory, that your name would be hallowed in this place, in your church. 
Thank you for the instruction. Thank you for the exhortation. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you that we are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us life. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, maybe you've come in and you've never come to know Jesus Christ personally. It is not an accident you are here today. Jesus loves you. He demonstrated his love for you by coming and dying on the cross. For your sins and my sins, he suffered, he died and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he's reaching out to you right now to forgive you. To grant you eternal life. That you might begin a relationship with him this day. A real relationship. You come just as you are to receive Jesus, to believe on his name. Is that you this morning? Can I pray with you if that's you? Right where you're sitting, I'd love to pray with you. Just Would you raise up your hand and I'll lead you in a simple prayer as you make that choice to give your heart, your life to Jesus. Let me pray with you if that's you. Most important decision you'll ever make is concerning your eternity. Anyone at all this morning you're saying, yeah, Mike, that's me. I realize my need today. I need Jesus. I need his forgiveness. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Lord, thank you so much. I trust that we are all your family this day. The family of God, your children. Behold what manner of love that we might be called your children. That is what we are, and we're so grateful. Please keep us close to your heart. Cause us to thrive and to abound under your care, that we would grow in grace and the knowledge of you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go and let's stand together for one last song.
Jesus, this, this morning, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. Help us to put into practice what you taught us this morning, Lord, that we would trust you, Lord, our faith will be directed towards you, Lord, the good conscience, Lord, that we would recognize the spiritual battle that we are in, Lord. Thank you that you have, that you equip us, Lord, with what we need, Lord, may we put on that spiritual armor, Lord, those uh, defensive weapons for our protection, Lord, the word of God and prayer that we can go on the attack with, Lord. And may we do all things, Lord, led by you and, and done with love, Lord, seeking to please you, Jesus. Make it, may we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to you, Lord. I pray now that you would bless our time of fellowship, Lord, and knit our hearts closer together and help us, Lord, to, to walk in what you instruct us in, Lord, that we be transformed and renewed by uh, the renewing of our minds, Lord, as we simply abide in you and, um, and look to your strength, Lord. So may you have your way amongst us, Lord. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, that was you guys.